Fresh, I got a question for you. Yeah. I've been living in Southern California for a year. California, is that what you said? California. Yeah. Is it time for me to go full LA? I don't know what that means. I love LA. I mean, like is that. It, is just singing the song that's full LA? I love my friends. No. no I love can't. my wife. No. I love my dog. Her name is Pastor I love it. Like I mean, that. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's what full LA is, right? You put on the, the shades. Just being Randy Newman? Yeah, you pull on the shades. You go to work at like, I don't know, 3 p.m. You end work at 4. You hit the beach. I love it. I mean, I guess so. I, I My understanding is there's a lot of driving. Yeah, well, that's why you start singing like an unhinged lunatic. And that's why you show up at work at 3 o'clock is because you've yeah. been in traffic the whole time? You've been in traffic the whole time. And yeah. then you're like, I got to get to the Dodgers game. Yeah. And then you like you have to leave four hours early. And then you get there. And then you're like, you know, that was not fun. But I love it. I mean, at least there's no like fires or anything. <laughs> That's true. You know, the, 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 the thing that makes it all worth it is the fires. <laughs> no, it's it's a beautiful weather. It's so it's so beautiful. And also the fires are inescapable. Shout out to Great Britain, which is going through a heat wave that is utterly horrifying. Yeah. The whole world is going to be on fire soon enough. So I might as well pop on my shades and work one hour a day. Do you think it's the fires just heard about how great the weather was and they were just like, I need a piece of that? <laughs> I think that is. I, I like that we personified a force of brutal, deadly nature <laughs> and just <laughs> turned it into a real Pixar story. Things are going to be great. Things are going to be great. Is there another way that you would put that? I love LA. I love LA. My name is Russ Farshik and I have the best game of the week. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and I'm diving into that backlog. I'm Tina Sanchez, and I'm coming out of retirement to podcast. Nice. Wow, very good. We have a very special guest this week on The Besties, a video game club that goes all year long. And guess what? Just by listening, you remember, uh, the Mackle boys are on tour this week. But that's okay, because we've upgraded with Tina Sanchez, old friend of... Uh, both Chris Plant and I, um, and uh, I would say a journey person of the video game industry at this point. Yeah. Flash. You botched her name. That That's her old, she is up, she is transformed, she has grown, she has expanded. <laughs> I was just going to say, she just called herself Tina Sanchez in the intro I of the did. show. So I, 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 I did. I it. <laughs> Well, because that's what people remember me as. Oh, okay. Well, what would yeah. you prefer? We could do the <laughs> O'Hara as well. Sanchez is cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I had it right in the rundown, and then she curveballed me with uh, dropping her uh, married name. You so know, I, I just went seeing a chance. It it's happens. Fine. It's something that happens in the game industry to married women. You have one name in another game. You have one in an, another. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like your Moby Games page, IMDb, like doesn't really exist. I just thought that you would want to include the last name O'Hara because... You aren't Irish, but you, you <laughs> represent Ireland so well that you actually sought out a husband for no greater purpose than to get this name. You know what's funny um, is uh, O'Hara is a Japanese name as well. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I'm in Japan, you know, people think I speak fluent Japanese. Well, Chris Plant is working on it, so maybe maybe he can join you and, and really sell it. Yeah. Ohio goes I must. There you go. Uh, just to bring people quickly up to speed on who Tina is, uh, as we mentioned uh, briefly in the intro, Tina worked at 1UP. Was that your first, basically, first job in the video game industry? That. So my first job in the game industry was at Koei Corporation before they merged. With oh, Koei. I didn't know you worked at Koei. Yeah, before they merged with Koei Tecmo. And I was wow. a sales and marketing assistant. And I also did PR because it was like four people in America. 
Wow. Um, and I had to, <laughs> you know, pitch my wares. And I was like, come on, GameSpot, cover us on the front page. We have water. You can swim now. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was very humbling. <laughs> um, and then I met the folks at 1UP and they hired me as their community manager back in 2008 before we knew what community management really was. Yeah. Did that role even exist in the world in 2008? Uh, I think it just, I mean, that was like barely started. You might've been the first one. Yeah. I think that's like literally Twitter launch to Well, Twitter launched in like 2006, I think on cell phones, but I think the website was like 2008, 2007, 2008. I mean, it was before YouTube really took off too. Yeah. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Old. Old. And you made, you made quite a a stand there at one up and did a bunch of, very, very cool stuff. Yeah, that place is really special because they let you be, you know, who you wanted to be. There is no faking. Just play whatever games you like. Um, I ended up falling into the shooter category, and I covered a lot of those. Um, I met a bunch of game devs through there. And then when Infinity Ward imploded, uh, I don't even remember what year that was, 2011, 2012. When everyone went to respawn, you mean? Yeah, um, yeah. They offered me community manager there. And I was like, sure, let's try this. Um, but it ended up working out. And I, uh, when I was doing interviews, a lot of people would ask me technical questions that I couldn't answer. So I ended up you know, making relationships with the devs, asking them how they do stuff and how they get things in the game. And that led in, uh, me into production. So I've been a producer since 2013, 2014, and I haven't looked back. I worked on uh, Apex Legends, which you may know. Uh, I worked on Call of Duty. I worked on God of War Ragnarok for about a year, and now I'm working on something new. I had all of these written down in the rundown, so I could have done that for you, but I'm so glad that you did it yourself because, honestly, I think it comes, comes off as more honest and true to who you are. Except, except that, like, humble brag... Where you're like, uh, Apex Legends, which you may know. Maybe you've heard of it. This little battle royale game. It's like, makes a gajillion dollars and is inescapable. It's insane. Uh, Tina, uh, EA did Tina, not believe in it. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, not surprised there. Yeah. We, we will go into it, but I, sure. I wanted to ask real quick. What was the first uh, game that you were producer on and not uh, CM? Was that at Call of Duty still? Yeah, I think it was between Infinite Warfare and Call of Duty World War Two. Yeah, wow. That's cool. Dang. Yeah, I remember uh, I was at some review event for one of the Call of Duty games, and we had a nice little reunion. It was like probably the might have been the last time I saw you face to face. Man, are you serious? Wow. Yeah, you you staffed some uh, review event for one of the Call of Duty games. I think it was Ghosts or something. Ghosts, probably. It was probably Ghosts. Yeah. Being the female rep for that franchise was insane. (laughs) 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 It was pretty wild i feel like i can handle anything though now because of that job the thing about call of duty is it lacks all controversy and you know it has a lot of interesting things to say oh yeah (laughs) should we talk about our backlogs we are we are going to talk about our backlogs i i think the plan right now is we're going to talk a little bit about video game backlogs and sort of just the general idea of them but also our specific video game backlogs and then the second half I think we're going to learn a little bit about how the video game industry actually works from expert Tina Sanchez <laughs> O'Hara sometimes. And uh, that's exciting. So w- let's just dive in, first of all, backlogs. Okay, so we're going to jump into backlogs right after the break. This episode of The Best These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind those are the sorts of people that you would say oh maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that that is where aura frames comes in it's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos. You can do whatever you want. And it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames. And they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family 
all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so video game backlogs. For me, and I'm just speaking for myself, there's two forms of video game backlog things that I keep in the back of my head of, oh, this is a game I need to play. Form A, it's out of uh, professional necessity. So game of the year is coming up or we have a besties episode coming up or something like that. And I need to play a game because it's the talk of the town, if you will, the Minecraft of our generation. Um, and so there's that. And then there's also the, man, I think I would like this game. I just haven't had time. I think that's the like bulk of the backlog categories. Are there any other categories I'm forgetting in terms of backlog stuff? Mm, not that now that I can think of. I think that's the bulk of it. Tina, I feel like, do you have any like professional responsibility backlog games where it's like, oh, I need to know what the industry is doing, or is it entirely this is a game I think I would like and I'm gonna play it in my free time? There there are games that we try to play together if we're trying to understand a particular feature or you know, get some inspiration on how other games did things. So we'll play games together like that. But yeah, in my free time it's it's been pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> just as, insofar as you don't have time yeah well you also have a new child so that complicates matters a little bit yeah she's six months old her name is sam she's pretty cool oh oh i guess that's cooler than playing yakuza zero but not by much <laughs> <laughs> uh plant do you what do you what is your general like oh i need to play this game like back for backlog purposes is it what is the like usual motivator of like, oh, I'm finally going to do this? So I, I used to have a lot of pressure to go and play big, important video games that are, you know, I don't know, the video game canon. Uh, because, hey, this is my job. Uh, if I'm going to be a critic, what, what does it mean if I haven't played every Zelda? And then I got over it. <laughs> and now I just play older games that I think are interesting and excite me and feel like they are worth my personal time and like nobody else's I, when i when i do the backlog at this point i'm doing it for me um because i've played so many video games that the idea that i'm like somehow accountable to have played every final fantasy is just silly like that that's not helping me also just being real with myself professionally like i'm not a a critic most of the time you know most of my life is being a manager <laughs> and like that's a lot of stress um uh and it requires a different skill set so when i'm not doing that i do want to go play yakuza zero because uh, yeah it's either that or being a parent and neither of those are like super easy um so yeah I, that there, there's sometimes overlap you know i recently tried to play final fantasy 6 the pixel remaster and that lasted for about an hour. Um, <laughs> Is that the one with the max? It starts with max. Yeah, in and the it snow. looks great. It looks yeah. great. It sounds great. The story's killer. And then every five seconds, you're thrown into a random battle. Yeah. And there's like a fast forward button. And even with that, it's like, well, great. Now I just get to watch random battles and fast forward. Like, no, no, thank you. I'm good. Yeah. Um. So, yes. Yeah, so and then I go back into Yakuza 0 and I break some people's noses because they... We're preventing a father from spending time with his child, which is a great side mission. I think I've game. only played one Yakuza game so far, and it was, uh, I don't know what it was called, five maybe? I don't know. Sure. But I it mean, was very silly and lighthearted, which I was not expecting. Is that Does, does that run through all of the Yakuza games? For the most part, I, I mean, especially Yakuza 0, which is the one I recommend everybody start with. Um yeah, it, they're just good. Or, or not, well, silent. When I say good, I don't mean like, oh, the game's good. I mean, they're about, their protagonists are good people. They like want to do right by the world. And they just seem to like roam through this neighborhood waiting for people in need of help. Like, 
uh, a dude is wanting to propose to his girlfriend with a crossword puzzle, but he's super annoying and she's like really exhausted and doesn't want to have to do the puzzle. So you are like, hey, let's go into this restaurant and I will help you finish that crossword puzzle together. And then when she goes to the bathroom, you like talk to him about like why he's getting married and try to help him with his romance. It does romance. seem like all of the games have like a very human a humanistic basis to them where they like even though they have fighting in them and stuff like that the core objective is like telling very human stories about people yeah like last night i played a side mission where it's like a i don't know probably like late teens early 20 something dude who is wearing a varsity jacket um that's like for a rival sports team and the jacket in japanese says something like come and fight me. Nice. <laughs> and he's like, I just want to be able to cross this bridge into my, you know, to, to this other neighborhood wearing my jacket with pride without getting like the absolute shit beat out of me. <laughs> and you're like, just take the jacket off. And he's like, no, it just, you know, the jacket means a lot to me. So then you like just kind of escort him across. It's an escort mission across like 20 feet, but he walks as slow as humanly possible as you beat the shit out of like, I don't know, 20 people so that he can walk to the other side. And then he's like, thank you. And then he just turns around and goes home. <laughs> what? Like the, the reasons for fighting in this game are like so, so silly. It's much more interested in the story it has to tell. Um, it rules. The setting yeah, is pretty cool too, right? It takes place in Tokyo. Yeah, it takes place in, I'm trying to remember the name of the neighborhood. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. But the the first, I believe, six games, or I guess seven with zero, all take place in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood, like, uh, looks different based on the time. So, like, zero is in the 80s. And then I, I think, like, six is modern day. And then um, I think the most recent game, which switches to, um, what is it? Were you, like... Oh, classic RPG battling system uh, where you're selecting your attacks. Oh, I think I, that's the one that I played. Yeah, which is also great. I think that one's set in Sapporo. So I don't know... I, I don't know which neighborhood that one is, but I believe that's a different setting for the first time. Um, but yeah, it, it's... I mean, it's kind of wild playing through a series where it is the same place and you're just seeing it through different technology and different time periods. And like... A lot of Zero in the 80s is about the gentrification of that place. So it looks very different than how mm. it ends up looking in later games because that area does gentrify historically in the real world. So then oh, it has to cool. in the game too. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. The entire story of Zero is about like a plot of land that the Yakuza and like real estate developers are fighting over because it will kind of give them the keys to like gentrify the entire neighborhood. Um, I'm trying to think of like a another game that does that where you're constantly, I guess Zelda to some extent, because you're always like going to s- familiar locations over and over again, but not t- to the point of like, oh, this like is that. literally the same spot. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can't think of anything like that. Zelda, I mean, Breath of the Wild hints at that where yeah. there's like... Or Wind Waker as well does. Y- yeah, well. like it's like, oh, pieces from old games are here in the rubble. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think it's like... Shinmu is the clear inspiration for Yakuza, and I think yeah. that's that's probably it. Tina, what what like is there a game either that you're playing or that you're just like this is what I have to play when you know years from now, mm-hmm. decades from now, you have the time to do it. <laughs> oh god, um, the last time I felt that way was when the latest Halo came out, and I managed to play multiplayer for a good couple weeks, but. It's weird, uh, you know, when you're working on shooters, you kind of, like, I, I dabble with Fortnite every now and then, which is insane to me because every time I start that game, it's completely different from what I remember. Yeah. Like, they don't even have building in it anymore. So live games are just, like, a whole new beast of whatever you expect the game to be, when you go back to it, it's probably going to be a lot different than you think. Which is funny you say that because you worked on a live game in Apex Legends. Yeah, um, but it uh, but that was I think a lot more stable than what Fortnite does. Yeah, I think team size has a lot to do with that too. Um, you know, on Apex there was only I think 130 of us when the game launched internally. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't even know how big that team is now to keep up with what they do. I was going to say, that's so small. But uh, I stuck around for like five seasons after that game launched, and it was pretty intense. Like uh, when you ship a live game, your ship date becomes, you know, a few years and it dwindles down to maybe a couple months, if that. So you constantly feel like you're just micro dosing yourself with like launching a new game. And the, and the stress and the anxiety of that. And it's like, well, they like it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, life games are just, I don't know. It kind of, it kind of gets you to in a good place, like production wise, because you start getting smarter, hopefully about how you track things, how you work with people. It kind of makes you uh, cut out the, the BS tasks of like, going around with a clipboard and asking people, what did you do today? Because you don't really have time for that anymore. Yeah. Uh, was there anything outside of, I assume Halo was a thing that was predominantly for work. Yeah. Was there like a must play fun thing? Uh, I played Among Us. I like oh, that. Sure. Um, I love that you can play on an iPad. It, it made it easy for me to just socialize with friends during COVID. Like that was really cool. Um, but no, I don't know. It's it's weird for me. I I only dabble in games on maybe once every other month now because of the kid. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I'm playing my game at work every day. And then sometimes I'll start like, I don't know, Destiny or something at work or Borderlands. I don't know, like whatever the team wants to check out. So I don't really feel completely disconnected. Um I do from other genres uh, just because I don't have the free time to jump into them as much as I'd like. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I, I, you know, I would imagine that even with other genres, there could potentially be stuff that you could like, oh, this would be an interesting feature or something like that. But you'd have to cull through so many before you would find something that, oh, this would apply to like a shooter or something like that. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the thing that... Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jason West, the guy who co-founded yeah. uh, Infinity Ward. Um, sure. Everyone that I worked with that worked with him said that he encouraged people to play the most popular thing or watch the most popular thing just to understand what the mass appeal was. Um, so there's always that in the back of my head. Like if a, a you know, Elden Ring is comes to mind. Um, I haven't played it yet, but I want to because everyone's talking about it and that guy what's his name let me solo her like that. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure the, I, I would yeah. love to meet him one day <laughs> in game um so yeah there, there's things like that that i've like jotted down in the back of my head um but i also have a list of franchises that i feel extremely guilty for never playing for odd reasons that i want to eventually touch like uh zelda oh sure my, you never played any of them no so my, my mom uh, bless her heart. Uh, she thought that they were like a cult, dangerous <laughs> game. So she never let me touch it or play it in the house or anything. And for the longest time, I was like, what is this? I don't know. My mom says it's bad, um, which is insane, right? Like, I don't know. Well, it's also funny because you ended up doing <laughs> playing like Call of Duty, Apex, like all shooter games, which are, I think, more traditionally parents she, freak out about. She handed me Mortal Kombat. I'm not joking. Uh so I, I I don't know what that disconnect was. Um, so, yeah, wow. Yeah. This explains so much about your taste in video games. <laughs> I, I loved it. I feel like, you know, we did a podcast for however many years, and this could have just helped me understand so much right away of, yeah. of what you're looking for. Go back to the beginning. You're like, why do I like violence so much? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe because the first thing I ever did in a video game was rip someone's spine out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was crazy. I don't, I don't know why she let me play that. Um, <laughs> Skyrim, I felt bad about too, just because it followed me on every platform for a while. Yeah, I was like, I'll play it, and then it, you know, it'd come out on the new thing. I'm like, yeah, I'll play it, and then I, I don't know why I never got to it. Um, I'm, I, I, I have that same thing with Skyrim, where I've only played a few hours of it here and there. Because um, it's just not the type of game that personally interests me. Mm-hmm. But yet, you like download it on a new platform, and then you see it next to all these other interesting new games <laughs> that people are talking about. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I could play that, or I could play Elden Ring. Yeah, the new or, 
Yeah, or I or I could play Yakuza. You know, the greatest, sweetest ode to the joy of humanity. Like <laughs> that's that's what I want. When a game's that popular, it feels like ubiquitous or universal, and it's like easy to forget. Yeah, some people just don't like that type of game. Like. While mo like you know, sure, like maybe sixty percent of people in the world are huge fans of it. There's still a percentage that just like aren't, and that's yeah. like chill. I wanted to say that the greatest thing that's ever happened to my backlog is the Steam Deck. Yes, which I genuinely feel bad about constantly bringing up because it's I think mentioned probably in every episode of the Besties since it arrived in my house, but. Because, uh, yeah, I feel bad just because there are so few in the wild. There's, I want to say, like, I don't know, 60,000 of them in total out there, it seems like. But more and more are shipping every day. But because since the uh, Steam Deck arrived, uh, I remember I was talking about, hey, what are some games that I would play once it actually shows up? And I gave some examples, but I was a little bit worried that maybe I wouldn't have the time or the interest to go back to playing playing an old game but since it arrived, I have definitely been using it for that. And most recently, just finished Outer Wilds, which is a game that is one of the greatest games I've ever played. Unquestionably, an incredible, incredible game. Um, and I'm so, so happy that I was finally able to play it um, on a very cool platform for it, actually. I, I don't know if you guys have experience with that game at all, but... It, it it's the best. I, the Steam Deck feels like it changed my like video game life. Yeah, which it, I don't know. It feels hyperbolic, but I think of the stuff that I've played just in the past few months since it's come out. I mean, Yakuza being a perfect example. I didn't realize how many games I've really wanted to get into that I just couldn't because the time investment that would be required to sit in front of a computer, especially with having a kid. I mean, Tina, I think. The Steam Deck, you would you would love it so much. Have you seen? Are there any in the office? Have you seen any of them? Uh, no. So we don't have any in the office, but we all ordered them. I actually, oh. I believe my coworker got one, but I haven't looked at his yet. But um, yeah, I'm still waiting on mine. I think I get mine in December or something. Oh yeah, oh one gosh. of the later arrivals. I mean, it's dynamite. It's great. It's exactly like. You know, we all had that moment when whenever uh, an indie game that we wanted to play on Switch was announced or something like that, uh, you know, you'd have to wait an extra year for it to actually come to Switch. And now all of those games are just like there. And all the games that I already owned on Steam are there. Um, so it is kind of a game changer for me. Uh, and so, yeah, Outer Wilds was just like such a special experience. Um, man. Tina, it's I, I, you haven't played it, right? Mm -mm. It's one of those games that like would be the opposite of useful for you because there is no <laughs> analog to really any other game, maybe ever. It's just like a totally different kind of thing that so few other games have even attempted. Huh. Um, the only other games that like spring to mind are like a little bit The Witness and a little bit uh, a more recent game, which was The Forgotten City, which we talked about on Besties a while back, uh, doing like the time loop thing. But wow, uh, really spectacular. And I, I don't even know how to talk about it because uh, everyone should really strive to to play it and um, figure it out for themselves because it's similar to Tunic, like one of the most satisfying experiences I've had playing a game and not looking anything up. And just sort of piecing it together. Um, it's been sick. I, yeah. And then I think the next game for my backlog is probably Dark Souls 2. Mm. Which is a Dark Souls game I never played. I played them all, except for that one. Did you so. skip it just because you were like, I'm a cool kid? I, it was just a time thing. I, I remember when we were talking about it, I actually think it... Well, I didn't fully skip it. I remember playing a few hours when it first came out, and I actually think it jokingly won besties uh that year because new york giraffe stepped in to vote for it but it i just like it was before the souls franchise has had clicked for me like before i had really gotten into dark souls one so i didn't really fully understand the draw or why people loved it and now that i get it like i've played every you know elden ring and and uh all the souls games and bloodborne i like just want more of that 
and it is more of that. I know it's not like the best of more of that, but it's, I'm sure, very good. And I know you like it, Plant. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love it. I feel like I have a, I don't know, a nostalgia or a special connection with it. It came out when I was at Maddie Thorson's house, um, in like the creator of Celeste and Towerfall, and a ton of game developers lived in this house. It wasn't just Maddie. And to be in a room with just some of the smartest indie developers I've ever met and see them explaining like what works in that game and like what's exciting about it kind of in real time as they were playing it for the first time oh, that's cool. was just so cool. Yeah, uh, it was just like kind of kismet in that I was there for the launch of Towerfall for a story I was doing. Um, but because of that, I, yeah, I think it just has like kind of a special place in my heart. It's it's funny. I I've done one episode of the Eight Four podcast, which is uh, recorded in Japan. Very talented team out there. Uh, and I was visiting for TGS, and I appeared on a one of their episodes. And I remember them talking about Dark Souls, and I remember them talking about how amazing it is and how great it is. And I remember me jumping in and being like, "Yeah, but it's like slow, and like <laughs> everything you want to do, you have to, like the sword takes forever to swing. I just don't get it." <laughs> And so, like, if you want to scrub back and find that episode, you can hear me sounding like an asshole. But uh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tina, for, for you, with your backlog, I, I mean, do you feel with, like, living games, and especially since, you know, they're kind of a part of your life. I mean, Call of Duty, before that was even a thing with the way it did its, like, DLC rollouts and everything. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that, like, one, working on that stuff, two, having to study it for work, that it kind of reduces the number of games in general that you get to play because they eat just so much time. It definitely does when your game's about to ship that particular year because you're just, you know, focused completely on getting the game done. So there isn't much time in the day for anything else, really. Um, you know, and that's a part of, like, the whole crunch culture that people talk about. Um, yeah, I was just thinking back to when Demon's Souls 2 came out and that was in 2014, which was, I think, the ship year for Infinite Warfare. And uh, I remember wanting to play it, but just did not realize, you know, that January to December happened. It felt <laughs> like a, it felt like a Jumanji, you know, uh, moment where you're Robin Williams and you're like, what year is it? Like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's crazy. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your experience uh, in a little bit. Sure. Uh, but anything else y'all wanted to mention? Re uh, current backlogs? Anything else you are looking forward to playing? I mean, I'm, I'm I Final Fantasy VII remake uh, is up there. People have been asking us to play. Is that Deep Rock Galactic? Oh, oh Deep my. Rock Galactic. Yeah, oh, I'll play that. There. That's fun. Y- yeah? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. You're, you're, Tina, you're going to make our, our audience so <laughs> mad because they have been asking us to play this for like, I don't know, two years. And you come in and you're like, yeah, you know, I played this and that, but not a lot. You know, making time where I can. <laughs> oh, I've also played the game that you should have played. I put hours into that game. Uh, it's, oh my gosh. It, it's a co-op game. So, you know, it's, yeah, it it's multiplayer. So, yeah, it's it was, I had an excuse to play it. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. W- should we play it? Yeah, I guess we'll play it at one point. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a slower year, so I think maybe on Arrestes we'll we'll jump into Deep Rock. Yeah, I mean, it's charming. Like, there's floor players. It's funny. So there's a hub before you start the the mission that you're going on, and there's a bar at the hub. And I learned uh, through being a jerk that if you drink enough beers, you get really drunk before a mission. <laughs> 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 Your like screen's a little bit distorted, and everything's like moving around weird. And that's fun. I don't know. It's just a silly game. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds it. dope. I, I've seen video of it. It does look very good. Uh, should we should we learn about how the video game bread is made? Oh my yeah. god! What is what is the <laughs> video game bread coming coming <laughs> that's all, that's coming at, at you right after this break? You go get a phone. You just want a phone. Talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts. And you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's 
secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for like literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice, easy solution to save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month? Say bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw dropping monthly bills, the unexpected overages. Sound familiar? To get this new customer offer and get your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, and especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have, and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. Okay, Tina. Yeah. So you're going to sort of uh, be the star of this segment because obviously Chris Plant and I have only covered the video game industry. We have not uh, worked in it. And I think we have, I I I will say I have a lot of questions specifically about like the day to day, especially Uh in the role that you're in, which is a a producer, now a lead producer. Yeah. And how producers sort of fit in to, you know, I think the traditional people know, obviously the artists and the designers and stuff like that, but how a producer sort of makes all that glue kind of work. And maybe you could start like early in the process, obviously you y'all are working on a game that you can't speak about the actual game, but it's still relatively early in development. Um, how does it start like early on in a project? Um, so one person or many persons have a general idea for a game and it's sort of written down on paper. We call it paper design. So they have the high level goal that they want to hit either for story setting, uh, gameplay mechanics, um, you know, it's kind of like everything, anything's possible at that point. Um, do you, well, let me ask you for, for uh, as a specific example, do you know like what the high level goal would be for like an apex, for example? Uh, funny story about that. Uh, we were working on another game that people wanted and then we pivoted to apex legends. I think a couple months oh, no. while I was on the project. So there's that. Oh, oh wow. also, I'm not beholden to any uh, publisher or PR person. I'm kind of like uh, independent right now because I work at Gravity Well and we're not owned by anybody. So ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did that feel getting moved off of that project? Um, I was a little nervous at first, but yeah. uh, when our leadership came to us and said, look, like, there's no one really competing with Fortnite. Everyone's telling us we're crazy. We got to fucking do this. Like we all agreed like, yeah, we got to fucking do this. I mean, there was a little bit of like a little bit of fear in the back of our heads because we're a super small team. But um, I think the more we played it, the more fun we had. And uh, playtesting is really key in game development because uh, especially multiplayer, like when you're playing as a group of friends and it feels like a land party and you're enjoying ourselves, you know that you have something good on your hands. 
Yeah. Was it as simple as like it started out as like, hey, we know there's a need for, you know, a Fortnite competitor that's like an actual first person shooter with like Titanfall mechanics? Like, <laughs> um, so the the core set of game devs that worked on Apex and Titanfall and call it and started Call of Duty, um, they have a particular method that's very different from other game studios that I've seen. Uh, in terms of developing games, and that is uh, prototyping in very small doses and very quickly. So nothing's polished and ready for people to view outside of the office, but um, at least you get to physically hold the controller, play something you think might be interesting, and then we decide if it's worth pursuing or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, a designer uh, prototyped what became Apex Legends, and he asked us to play test it for multiplayer. And then we realized that it was a lot more fun than we expected. Um, At the time, I think all battle royales were in beta, which meant that they weren't polished. They didn't really feel good all the time because, you know, they're still in development. Um, So there was definitely a window for shipping something that was done you know, in in a, the sense that there's not going to be some like huge janky bugs impacting your uh, experience. Yeah, it do, it did seem like it came out actually pretty smoothly. I remember first hearing about it and being like, "Oh, that's an interesting job. Free to play uh, Titanfall. That's an interesting choice." And then realizing very quickly the second we put our hands on it that it was, "Oh, this is like a very different thing." I guess working on that game. Where was your focus specifically as part of the like development cycle? Uh, so I joined as a uh, single player producer, but then became when when the game uh, that we were shipping changed. <laughs> and see how that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, I became just like general producer. Uh, there was three of us. It was me and two associate producers, um, and I ended up producing everything but environment art and art outsourcing, and then design day-to-day. But I mostly worked with nearly every dev at one point for Apex. Wow. Yeah. And and when you say producing, sorry to, like, boil it no, down. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Is it a, like, you know, you obviously know what the goals of the project are, right? You need, you know, X, Y, and Z done at a certain time, or you know what you're working towards. Is it a matter of, like, project management and also just like checking in with people and making sure people are on target. Mm -hmm. Like how does that sort of work out? Yeah. So it's a bit of project management and scheduling. Um, Mm -hmm. It feels like Tetris on that side because, you know, even though something may take a day for somebody, uh, the person that's after them may need it, you know, much sooner or later than anticipated. So you kind of try to line up the tasks on every department so that there's a clean, start and finish date and handoff point. So mm-hmm. we don't want to hand something off and then have it just sitting there for like weeks or months. Um, you want to make sure that it's fresh and that people play test it and that we're continually changing things as needed. Um, so on the project management side, yeah, that was a little bit like a, a game in itself. Um, but there's also a, a very human element to production. Um, I like to tell people that I'm sort of like a wedding planner for game devs where they come to me and tell me what their like dream, you know, feature is or whatever they want in the game. And then I let them know what departments are going to be needed to get it done. Uh, I work with the leads of those departments to see who will be doing the work. And then I kind of like make sure that it all happens for them. Um, I, I think that's the the high level gist of what a what I do as production. And I guess the question is, are there also like meetings directly between members that like you're not aware of and end up like screwing up that entire process? Um, those are kind of, uh, yeah, they're, they're well, like an artist and a designer meet in the back. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, we're going to do this shit. <laughs> yeah. We call those the like water cooler moments where you're in a hallway yeah. and then they just decide, Oh, this would be fucking cool. And then they run with it. Um, yeah, uh, that happens sometimes, but, uh, for that team, you definitely don't want to stop that process because that's where like some of the secret sauce comes from mm-hmm. is in those in those moments sparks of uh, inspiration. So um, the team got really good about just letting me know if any of that happened. And I also had 
weekly meetings with all the leads of each department, like code, design, art, um, animation, just to make sure that we were on top of anything. And then to let I let them know if I heard of any of those changes myself. Because in a huge team like Call of Duty or even, you know, like a God of War, uh, it's possible that one of those sparks in conversation happened, but another you know, audio could be still working on that feature that you guys decided to pivot on. And then it's a waste of work, right? So Mm -hmm. as a producer, you want to try to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the big areas that I always get sort of mind blown regarding the games industry is obviously there are a lot of departments and game development can last a very long time. It seems like certain departments would, I guess, struggle to fill certain parts of that game development process with stuff like I'll, just narrative, for example. So the narrative department in a single-player game or even a multiplayer game, I would imagine you hit these points where they just have like filled in what the you know next year of narrative is going to be. And they could certainly start working on the year in front of them or the year ahead of that. But you would, I would imagine at a certain point they kind of run out. So what do you do with the narrative department? Yeah, when they're twiddling their thumbs. Um, yeah. That does happen sometimes with departments. Um when that happens, we, well, at least I, I've encouraged them to continue being in those meetings, being present during play yeah. tests, because there is the high chance, especially in a multiplayer game, that whatever we change or adjust, that could significantly impact narrative in some way, if they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, the more information each developer has, the better, because then they make sound decisions when they're working on their thing. Um, so we always try to keep people included, even if they don't have work in front of them. Yeah. Uh, have you ever, like, w- let's say, use a narrative department as an example. It's yeah. like, hey, it's a little bit of a slow time for them. I'm just going to give them a blank spreadsheet and tell them to write 5,000 barks. Good. And then, <laughs> and like, they're not actually for anything, but, like, I'm going to tell them we need it by Friday. What is a bark, uh, Chris Plant? Explain what that is. A, a, a bark, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tina, a bark is like when it's like, hey, hey, you, hey, you over there. Hey, guy. Yeah. Like, just like the generic lines that like you have to have a gajillion of them. General chatter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you could do that. But I think what makes <laughs> <laughs> I think what makes the game is that this group of devs now that they're all kind of scattered to the window. But um, what makes them special is that they accept and encourage feedback from every part of the studio, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And then they take that seriously. So even if you don't have like, you know, a thousand lines to write, they want you to play the game and spend all of your time playing the game and giving feedback. That's cool. Yeah. So how, there's always something to do. How has it been different being independent versus like, you know, being at these other studios, you know, Sony and Respawn? And it's kind yeah. of wild. You've been at... at Activision, EA, and Sony. Yeah. And by proxy, I guess Microsoft through Activision now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. At Infinity Ward, they allowed you to expand outside of your day-to-day responsibilities with whatever you could get done, just do it. Um, attitude, because the COD deadline can't move. Right. So it was kind of cool to learn and explore, um, you know, because of that. Um, and I felt like I learned a lot uh, while I was there. At uh, Respawn, there was a little bit more of like, well, you're a producer. We don't really know what you do, but we know you're important. So show us what you got. <laughs> uh, and that was cool because uh, the team is really lean. They like to, I think Titanfall was made with like 80 people. Yes. Yeah. The COD 4 was made with like 60, 70 people. So oh, they, they they love running lean. Um and then on God of War, uh, my God, uh, that studio, Santa Monica Studios, was like 350 people internal, I think. And there was yeah, they're enormous. I was one of 40 something producers. Which was, and you came into that the game was already in production when you joined. Is that right, or was it still early? Um, yeah, it was it was already in production. I think I would say it was like a year, maybe a year and a half in. And is that like harder for you, like to sort of jump into something that's already in the works or easier? Um, It depends. Uh, I would say it's easier on the project management side only because 
everyone knows what they're doing. They know what they need to do to get the game done. So it's a matter of figuring out time and dealing with the human element of like whether someone feels inspired to work that day or if they're feeling a little bit sad um, and trying to like encourage them to do their best. Uh, When you're at the start of a project, like I am now, um, there is no real serious deadline ahead of you other than let's just figure out what we want to do. Um, so there's less stress in the sense that, uh, you know, you have to ship something soon, but there's also a little bit of a more terrifying moment in the back of your head. You're like, Oh God, what are we doing? Mm. And is it going to be good? Uh, so yeah, th- there's like ebbs and flows to it. Um, well, it, it is funny you mentioned that cause I know you guys already secured a publisher. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, a North American, uh, large North American publishers, but yes. you're on the website. I would imagine a large, there's so North many American, of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I would imagine a large North American publisher would be a little bit terrified to hear somebody say that. Like uh, if they don't necessarily, I mean, I would imagine they certainly have a vague timeline cool. of when to expect a game, but like, yeah, you know, the idea of partnering with someone that is still very early mm-hmm. in the development process, but I guess they're sort of relying on the idea that these are all folks, everyone on the team, it seems like is a veteran of the games industry uh, and has worked in quite a number of projects. Yeah, when a a publisher like this invests in you that early, um, they're invested more in the talent and the talent you can attract rather than the game idea you have in the moment. Um, I know that my studio heads are unique in the sense that they got funding without having a playable demo, which most game studios have in their hands when they get a deal. Yeah. So what they had was a PowerPoint, you know, in a in a dream. And they said, this is what we think we want to do, but we probably will change it. And then they said, OK, <laughs> so first thing, the game's going to kick ass. Second thing, a billion dollars. <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that, that sounds good. Yeah, they're like, this is like awesome. No, yeah, I, I mean, I, is is it true that like, I don't know, I feel like one of those things I hear a lot in in interviewing game devs is like, yeah, the game really doesn't come together until like the final two months. Or like, y- mm. it doesn't feel like it's going to be the thing that you like want it does, it to it be. It still feels janky and messy and gross until like really very close to release. Is that your experience, Tina? Uh, yes and no. It depends on uh, the feature or the... the... I've, I've never experienced that for a game as a whole really um it was always like this one thing seems off because mm. we don't have everything we need for it yet to to play mm. it um but the team that i worked with uh on apex um they like to work in what they call action blocks there's a gdc talk that people can watch for free um if they look up action blocks for titanfall um but uh, it, it goes back to the way they like to prototype something very rapidly and you know it's nothing polished or anything that you would want to show to people outside of game dev, but um, it definitely gives you a sense of like, this is what we want the player to experience and here's how we're going to do it. Um, so yeah, hopefully I answered your question. Yeah. yeah, I think that's spot on. I mean, any last words, any lessons learned from the world of game development that our listeners can apply to their life oh, that man. has nothing to do with video games? Uh, production is a great way to dabble in everything that game development has to offer. Um, and you can, if, if the devs are kind and trust you, you can even support them and get some of that work done too, with the tools that they have at their disposal. Uh, so I I think it's a great way to figure out what you want to do if you don't really know what, uh, you want to do in game development, but also, uh, if you love the social aspect of talking to people day to day and trying to help them feel inspired to do the things that they got to do, um, you know, that. I think production is like a, a good a good job for people that are extrovert. I love it. That's um, awesome. Fresh, should we talk about our honorable mentions? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, Tina, while we're giving ours, you can think if there's anything that springs to mind, but uh, this is a place you can talk about uh, a game you might be playing you really like or a TV show or a movie you've seen or a book you've read or really anything that you would recommend to people. So... I'm going to very briefly recommend mine, which is Stray. And the reason I'm being very brief about it is because we're going to do a full episode of The Resties uh, this coming Tuesday about Stray, which is the game that stars a cat and the cat is great. 
Um, I'm not going to say much more than that, but if you like cats, holy cow, there has never been a more cat-centric game than Stray. Um, so th- that that is mine. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, mine is The Rehearsal, the new Nathan Fielder show on HBO Max, and it's just the best. I mean, I liked Nathan for you, his previous show on Comedy Central, but it felt like it was always kind of working itself out. Some episodes were cringier than others. Some episodes were kind of meaner than others. Um, the whole premise of that one was he wanted to, you know, help business owners revive their businesses in a variety of ways. One of my favorite ones is uh, a haunted house was not scary enough. Um, so the way that he made the haunted house scarier was basically by keeping it the same. But then when the people came out telling them that uh, while going through the house, they had been scraped by a piece of metal and infected with a fatal disease. Um, and then making them go to the hospital. Um, uh, this show is, you know, I'm not going to say anything more about it. Yeah, I, I don't I, even I would, know how to pitch this you know, show and not sort of... Re- and I, I, I wouldn't want to. I, and I'm yeah. not a big spoilers person. I, I, I mean, you like spoiling things accidentally, so that, I that do. is true. That's true, but I've gotten better. You've helped me. Somewhat better, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I really think you should just watch it. It's not, it's not for everybody, but I think the people that do click with it are going to really, really, really click with it. And if you happen to be a fan of uh, How To with John Wilson, although it is not at all similar to that, it is, uh, you know, similar creative team and at times a similar tone. So keep that in mind. Tina, anything to spring to mind? Uh, severance, but I'm pretty sure you guys have talked about it. Oh, I don't think we have. Really? How do we recommend I don't think we have. Uh, I've not briefly. seen it, but I've heard it's terrific. It's a science fiction, psychological thriller, drama. It's kind of creepy, scary in a way, but um, it starts off a little slow because someone's going into work and it feels very mundane. The setting feels mundane. Christopher Walken's in it, um, which makes it awesome uh, from the jump, but uh, I don't want to spoil what happens in the show. It just, it takes a turn and uh, it definitely draws you in because you're asking yourself like, what is happening? It kind of made me feel uh, engaged in the same way, um, oh, lost. Oh, sure. That got, that got everyone tuning in because they wanted to see what was happening. Um, it, I, I felt as engaged as uh, watching Severance, trying to figure wow. out what's happening. Yeah, it's, it's really good. That's cool. Yeah, it is on Apple TV Plus, I believe. Yep. It has been on my must-watch list for a while. I just haven't had the chance yet. So that's, that is a good reminder. Prush, take us home, country road. Okay, uh, I wanted to thank the following people for writing reviews for the besties on Apple Podcasts. Well, actually, before I do that, I want to thank Tina so much for joining us. Tina, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, it's T-E-A-N-A-H. Tina on Twitter. Uh, and uh, she is working for Gravity Well Games. They've got a game coming out sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, play God of War Ragnarok. You might oh, like yeah, it. she worked on God of War Ragnarok, which hasn't come out, but comes out, uh, I believe, they announced the release date is November, I want to say. Yep. Very exciting. I'm super pumped. Uh, thanking the following people for writing reviews. Not my ads. Sam from Clee. I assume that's Cleveland. Uh, Fock, F-A-Q-H, <laughs> 1977. <laughs> Just wanted to spell that out for argument's sake. Tight. And the Southwest Man Smoocher. Smoosher. Sorry, Smoosher. Uh, thank you for writing reviews for the besties on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everyone else uh, for writing reviews and sharing the show and talking about it. Um, that's going to do it. Plant, do you want to recap any of the games we talked about? Uh, I mean, yeah, we talked about Yakuza. We talked about, like... Skyrim, you know, Outer Wilds. Skyrim, Outer Wilds. Final Fantasy Tina didn't play Zelda. Tina didn't play Zelda. We talked about a lot. <laughs> Apex Legends. Uh, yeah, we, we cover a lot of ground. I'll be real. The most interesting part of this episode was Tina explaining how the video game industry worked. I am 100% more educated <laughs> than I was coming into this. Uh, Same. There's so much more. Stupid. There's so much more. I'll be on Twitter um, if you have any questions. That's awesome. People should reach out to Tina on Twitter. That is a dangerous um, proposition you just made. <laughs> also be nice. Also be nice. No, I, I was a, I represent a cod. There's nothing that can scare me anymore. <laughs> that, that, that is true. That's true. Talk about uh, Crucible. Uh, yeah, you definitely survived the worst of it. Crucible? That's destiny. Oh, my God. Next <laughs> week, I think we're going to try to convince Justin to play a racing game. 
maybe uh, in the because we I really want to play the Forza Hot Wheels DLC that just came out and it sounds pretty sick. But I know he's a little grumpy about that. Uh, we'll see if we have Griffin available. I know he's moving, but uh, uh, certainly uh, Justin will be back from tour. So uh, that's going to do it for the besties for Tina and Chris. I am Russ Frustick. Thanks for listening to the besties because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Besties!